Saturday, February 22nd, 2020 marks the third annual Human Trafficking Awareness Day in Ontario. On February 22nd, 2007, the House of Commons passed a motion condemning the trafficking of women and children across international borders for the purpose of sexual exploitation. Eleven years later, in 2018, Ontario recognized the first Human Trafficking Awareness Day. This came after Ontario's strategy to end human trafficking was launched by the Ministry of Children, Community and Social Services in 2016. The strategy aims to increase awareness and coordination, improve survivors' access to services, and enhance justice sector initiatives. In recognition of Human Trafficking Awareness Day, Women in Crisis would like to bring a series of podcasts to inform us on a variety of different aspects connected to human trafficking and the complex issue that it is. I'm Jessica, public educator with Guelph Wellington Women in Crisis, and here I'm joined with Emma. Emma, tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm the anti-human trafficking counselor at Guelph Wellington Women in Crisis. In recognition of Human Trafficking Awareness Day, what are some key things you would like our listeners to know more about? Well, I think it's important to have an understanding of what human trafficking is. So I'll start by just letting you know that the United Nations Office on Drugs and Crime implemented the Palermo Protocol in 2000. So it's been ratified by about 175 countries, including Canada, and it defines trafficking as the recruitment, transportation, transfer, harboring, or receipt of persons by means of the threat or use of force or other forms of coercion, of abduction, of fraud, of deception, of the abuse of power or of a position of vulnerability or of the giving or receiving of payments or benefits to achieve the consent of a person having control over another person for the purpose of exploitation. Exploitation shall include, at a minimum, the exploitation of the prostitution of others or other forms of sexual exploitation, forced labor or services, slavery or practices similar to slavery, servitude, or the removal of organs. So that's a mouthful. In other words, the core components of human trafficking are force, fraud, coercion, and control by a third party. Forms of human trafficking can include forced labor, which can happen in any industry, uh, whether it's agriculture, manufacturing, hotel services, construction, trafficking in labor for sex, domestic servitude, and forced marriage, organ removal, and forced surrogacy, um, and child soldiers are other forms of trafficking. Trafficking can occur anywhere. It can occur in hotels, condos, Airbnbs, in private homes, in factories, farms, construction sites, on the streets, and online. When people often talk about human trafficking, they see it as this international issue, an issue that happens elsewhere. Can you give us an idea of what human trafficking looks like in Ontario? That is a common misconception. The majority of people that experience trafficking in Canada and in Ontario are trafficked domestically, so um, they're trafficked from within Canada. It's less about people crossing borders and more about an exploitation of labor. So a report by the Alliance Against Modern Slavery found that the majority of people who are trafficked in Ontario are female. About 42% of people were under the age of 18. As well, Indigenous women and girls are overrepresented in those who are trafficked in Ontario. So based on the fact that a majority of human trafficking in Ontario is sex trafficking and the comments and questions I've received from community members, what do you think is important for the community to know about the difference between sex workers and human trafficking survivors? So the main thing to know is that sex work and trafficking 
are not necessarily the same thing. It's important that we not conflate the two. People's engagement in the sex trade exists on a spectrum. So there are three ways that people engage in the sex trade. The first way would be through choice. The second way would be through circumstance. And then the last would be through coercion. Um, And when somebody is coerced into the sex trade, that's when it's trafficking. So collapsing choice, circumstance, and coercion into one category ignores the nuances uh, that explain why people are engaging with sex for money. When people enter the sex trade through choice, sex is consensual. The exchange of sex for money or another good is consensual. You'd imagine a sex worker who makes their own hours, chooses their own clients, has autonomy, has the ability to refuse work. Sometimes people may self-identify as a sex worker, an escort, or a high-end prostitute. That's on the one side of the spectrum. On the extreme other end of the spectrum, you'd have people that are coerced into the sex trade. So someone has persuaded them using force or threats or intimidation. Threats and force can be physical. Uh, It can look like the movie Taken, where Liam Neeson's daughter is abducted and sold into an Albanian sex trafficking ring. But coercion can also be emotional and psychological. And it can look like a boyfriend saying, if you love me, you'll have sex with my friend. Or a landlord saying, if you want a place to stay, you'll do this. These individuals might lack agency or a certain kind of capital and are directly or indirectly forced into the trade through manipulation or force. And that's that's the third party. So that third party is forcing or coercing them into the sex trade. And that third party is benefiting. Circumstance is really the majority of the reason that people engage in the sex trade. And circumstance itself is a spectrum. So on the end, closer to choice, you might have people who say, well, um, we live in a capitalist society and we need to exchange um, something in order to live. So you might sell your you know, creative writing skills or you might sell your counseling skills or your physical labor doing manual work or you might sell whatever it is and I'm going to choose to sell my emotional labor and, and sex for money. So it's a choice within a system. On the end, closer to coercion, you have people living in circumstances that are coercive. So a circumstance that might be coercive would be someone with a drug addiction, somebody who is homeless, somebody who receives ODSP, and maybe the check isn't enough to cover what they need. It might be somebody living in poverty. But either way, um, their circumstances have limited the choices that they can make. So there's not necessarily that third party controlling them, but they're living in a coercive environment. It's really important to understand why people are engaging in the sex trade because people need different kinds of support. You can experience violence at any end of that spectrum. Somebody that is choosing to engage in the sex trade without control of a third party, they may experience violence. Somebody coerced into the sex trade or doing it, you know, because of their circumstance, they can also experience violence. But the kind of support that that person needs is is going to be unique. So we can't assume that everyone is engaging in the sex trade for the same reason. Yeah, when you talk about consent and coercion and choice, you know, this isn't a new issue for Guelph Wellington Women in Crisis. It's important to note that supporting women experiencing sexual violence was the foundation of how Guelph Wellington Women in Crisis came to exist in our community in 1977. Yet, as explained earlier, the provincial government is allocating funds to assure specific programs and resources for human trafficking survivors exist. And as the newest program at Guelph Wellington Women in Crisis, can you share some information about the program's achievements so far? 
Absolutely. So the anti-human trafficking program at Guelph Wellington Women in Crisis began just over two years ago in 2018. Like you said, the anti-human trafficking program is funded through a community supports fund, which dedicated approximately $14 million to 27 partners providing wraparound supports to human trafficking survivors and increased protection for people at risk of being trafficked. So Women in Crisis was one of those agencies. Since the program started, served over 70 individuals who have experienced human trafficking in Guelph and Wellington. Uh, Their program offers practical assistance, counseling, crisis intervention, case management, community referrals, um, support with access to emergency shelter, court support, and related accompaniments. We've also offered over 40 trainings and information sessions to over 400 service providers and community members. Well, Women in Crisis has an emergency shelter, Mary Ann's Place, uh, with two beds designated for folks who have experienced trafficking. And between September 2017 and December 2019, 52 people utilized the beds at the shelter. Someone even came from as far as Kenora to relocate here for safety reasons. The impact of the program hopefully is, you know, supporting survivors and raising awareness about what human trafficking is and how all of us together can uh, support survivors better and make a difference. I've had the opportunity to hear directly from human trafficking survivors and have seen firsthand that their lived reality is not accurately reflected through mainstream media, like the movie you mentioned earlier. Sometimes it's far more complex, and I know you can't give justice to all the unique individual lived experience that um, the individuals you've supported have give, but can, given you, but can you give our listeners a glimpse into some of the complex ways that people are trafficked for sex? I can absolutely do that. Um, I would say people, a lot of people have um, vulnerabilities, whether they are individual vulnerabilities or societal vulnerabilities. Um, an individual vulnerability might be something like low self-esteem or experiencing a relational Um, trauma, experiencing loss, um, grief, um, dealing with anger, maybe the breakdown of a family unit, maybe issues with substance use, um, maybe a developmental delay. And then societal vulnerabilities might be things like experiencing racism, marginalization, colonization, um, you know, being discriminated against because of your gender identity. There are systemic ways that people are made vulnerable. So most of the people that I support have experienced um, one or more of those things. In terms of, not to say everyone who has a vulnerability is going to be trafficked, but a lot of the time people have those experiences. Um, The way in which trafficking happens um, is very intentional. So you have somebody who has the intention to to traffic somebody, and I'll, I'll say he. Um, So he would start by um, luring the person. So in this stage of exploitation, the first stage, you have somebody who is assessing um, the person that they have identified as their target. They're testing them. They're collecting information and making them feel special. So it might be somebody, somebody that he randomly found on Snapchat or somebody that he's following on Instagram or somebody he sees at a bus stop, but he'll make that connection. He will assess where their vulnerabilities are. Is it um, family relationships? Is it self-esteem? Is it substance use? What is it? He'll test and, and find out you know, where he's at. He'll collect information about them and, and make them feel special. After the luring stage, it, it's the grooming and gaming stage. 
So it's kind of like the honeymoon stage. So they might be in love. They might be best friends. Um, this this girl, this person who is experiencing the grooming and gaming, um, she feels like all her needs are being met. She's found a connection. He's he's meeting those needs. If if the if it's that she never felt like she belonged or was loved, he will make her feel those things. He'll promise her whatever she wants, whether that's family, whether that's relocating somewhere, new clothes, whether it's shelter. So after grooming and gaming comes coercion and manipulation. So that's when he um, will provide her with mixed messages. He'll withdraw and toy with her emotions. So she kind of is thinking, okay, like, what do I need to do to make it go back to the way that it, that it was? And she'll maybe do almost anything because she has become dependent on him in a lot of ways and maybe he's isolated her. So coercion and manipulation after that is exploitation. So so the person that is experiencing trafficking, like they feel very broken down. He might threaten their safety or the safety of loved ones. He might impose a debt on her. Um, he might fake a financial emergency. He might start to be emotionally and physical ab- physically abusive um, and isolate her further. So yeah, he may introduce an overt ask and say, you know, all those drugs I gave you or all that money I bought you, um, well, now you owe me. Or it might be more covert and it might, it might be like, well, if, if you want that life that I promised you or that we were going to build together, then you need to do X, Y, and Z. And that X, Y, and Z might be having sex for money. Um, so she feels indebted. She feels like she owes him. If he was there for her when she was at her lowest, she owes him indefinitely. Um, emotionally and then and then maybe also financially. Yeah, I, I think it's important to understand the stages of exploitation. Thank you for that, especially, you know, given that uh, I think it was, you know, 42% are under the age of 18. Knowing those um, tactics and what kind of to keep our eye out for helps us to better support the youth in our community who might be more at risk. Um, and I know that for the example you provided, you use the pronouns she and her, but um, that we are well aware of the high risk of trans folks um, and that in no way are we dismissing that men are trafficked too. So thank you for that. Absolutely. Uh, Like you mentioned, funding is being allocated to focus on ending human trafficking. And as you are more well aware than many of us, it's a complex issue. And some of us are struggling with, you know, how do we end this? What do we consider as we take steps to better supporting survivors, um, considering risk in our community, uh, looking at that prevention piece? What is important for us to consider as we work towards this change? Well, one, one thing I think is important to know is that this isn't a problem that we can, as people say, arrest our way out of. Um, I don't think I think it needs to be a collaborative response between criminal justice and community supports. Beyond that, there are there's the 4P framework, which is internationally recognized. So people like to say that you can we can end human trafficking um, through this like four pronged approach. So the first one is prevention through education, uh, protection of victims or those who have experienced trafficking, prosecution of those who traffic people, and then partnerships between government organizations, business, uh, community organizations. But I would argue that there are two other Ps that we need to address in order to end the problem of human trafficking in our society. Um, So the the fifth P would be patriarchy. 
Um, so we really need to look at the culture of domination that we have in our society. Um, we have to challenge the normalization of gender inequality, and and also we need to, you know, look at our tolerance of violence against women. It happens. It's prevalent. Um, why is that? It doesn't need to happen. And then the the sixth P would be poverty. I think as a society we need to do better to address poverty. Um, so that can you know be done in a number of ways. I think we need to address the housing crisis. We need to increase minimum wage. We need to provide accessible counseling and meaningful work, meaningful and dignified work. Um, we need to increase affordable childcare and access to healthcare and basic needs. I think we also need to stop the criminalization of substance use and challenge stigma associated with substance users. Yeah, I think we also need to um, look at our supply chains in other countries and the role that Canadian businesses play in other countries. And I think that we need to honor treaties. We have a lot of work ahead of us. And I know that as an agency, it's something that we strive to do, looking at um, having an intersectional approach to ending gender-based violence and all that that entails. Um, I want to thank you, Emma, um, for joining us and for uh, putting together this series, talking with a variety of different people. Just to give a heads up about the next sessions to come, people, please join back the next couple Fridays as Emma sits down with individuals from the community and surrounding area to look deeper into human trafficking in a variety of industries from a variety of perspectives with the hopes of unpacking the complexity of government laws, funding, personal choice, and coercion, because all of these things impact our understanding and our ability to make a difference as we work towards supporting human trafficking survivors. For those of you that have taken time to listen, please feel free to ask questions, share comments through our local social media accounts, and let others know who might be interested. Our goal is to raise awareness of the growing concern of human trafficking and work towards the prevention of sex trafficking in our community and beyond.